Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with comedian Maisie Adam, and well, you're in for a treat. It's uh, it's a cracking chat. This, and uh, I reached out to, to to Maisie on Instagram, and uh, and she come back and sent her song choices over. And when I saw him, I knew it was going to be a great chat, and uh, and it's wonderful. Um, before we get on with that chat, just quickly, um, a few thank yous. I'd like to thank Seventy Six for producing this podcast. Um, I'd also like to thank Screwis Pip and all of my brothers and sisters on the Distraction Pieces Network. Go check out some of the podcasts over there. You've got award-winning um, podcast films to be buried with by the wonderful Brett Goldstein, uh, Say Why to Drugs with Susie Gage, and obviously Scroobius Pip's very own Distraction Pieces, amongst many, many more. So go and um, check out the network. Um, if you enjoy this podcast and you like listening to comedians talking about their creative journey and the songs that have soundtracked it, then why not have a look in the archives? Because um, aside from all of the musicians and producers and actors that I speak to, I've also spoken to many comedians from the likes of, oh, blimey, where shall I start? Rich Wilson, Brett Goldstein, um, uh, James Acaster, Ed Gamble, uh, Jade Adams. Oh, there's, there's, there's a bundle. And uh, so go and have a, a rummage around in the archives and, uh, and see which ones tickle your fancy. Um, if you'd still like to get more content from Off The Beaten Track and you'd like to support the podcast, I also have a Patreon page. So uh, each week I put out three to four uh, exclusive episodes or radio shows. I also put up video episodes over there and you can uh, get access to all of that while supporting the podcast and also get access to another few hundred uh, shows in the archives over there um, by signing up for, I think it's about 72p a week. And uh, and this podcast is a labour of love. So any kind of support that you can give over there is much appreciated. Um, links to where you can find that are, are in the bio attached to this podcast or simply go to www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Right, that's enough waffle from me. Uh, and let's go over to some wonderful waffle from Maisie Adam. So please enjoy Off The Beat and Track Podcast with Maisie Adam. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Right, we are recording. Uh, sitting opposite me today in lockdown via the means of Zoom. Maisie Adam, hello. 
Hello, mate. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. So let's get this kind of conversation out of the way first. So we're, yes. we're recording this at the beginning of January. We've just been put back into tier whatever. We're, we're in lockdown. We can't hug strangers. We can't go to the pub. We can't do any of the things that, that we, you know, we take for granted. How, as a, as a stand-up as well, like, how have you found the last 10 months um, personally and yeah. professionally? Oh, that, is such, that is such a good and well-put question. Um, because it's also like everybody's been asking now. Well, been you don't ask about the weather knowing. anymore, do you? No, no. Everybody's, how, how, how's your lockdown been? And, and it, it feels both um, insincere to go, fine, because it's not <laughs> fine for absolutely anyone. But also you're very aware of the fact that if you start sort of having your little breakdown to that person, you're like, well, they're going through the exact, you know, we're all going through it, but everybody's reacting to it differently because everyone's got different circumstances. Mm. So it was very nice to then be asked, how are you doing personally and professionally? Because I think, yeah, the two have been really, really different. Um, I think personally, I've been been very fortunate. I've been very fortunate. I've been able to do... Uh, Zoom gigs and adapt to that quite well. You know, I'm I'm a young person as stand-ups go, and I, I feel for these like older comics who the circuit was their income and that was how they that was how they and to suddenly move that platform onto something called Zoom, which none of us have had, have, had ever used before, and to try and work out gallery views, speak of you like there there's, there's comics that are out there. There's some of the best comics I know. But when it comes to technology, they're like my parents trying to FaceTime. Like mm. they're just accidentally finding themselves clicking the eBay app instead. Like it's yeah. it's terrible. Um, but I've been very lucky. I've had lots of work, which has been has, has been very good, and and work has thankfully been able to like adapt around it. Um, I'm also like, and I say this as somebody who is living with my partner, but I'm very good on my own company. Um, and I think that's played a massive role. And I think, I think lockdown and the pandemic in a wider sense has probably brought to the surface for a lot of people how important it is to both be okay on your own, but also stress the importance of, of, of your social life. And I think maybe some people have maybe realised that that was a bigger part of their mental health. Massively. Than- than, than, than we do. I think it's just something we think is sort of in the background in our lives, and I think this has made it, us realise it's actually a huge, central... You know, we work our lives around our mates, we work our lives around events, we work our lives around who we're going to meet that day. And so it's been strange to, 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 not, to not be doing that. Um, it's that connection, Maisie. That, that's the really, thing that I think yeah. people really miss. And something that kind of presented itself really early on is when we've very first sort of got put in lockdown and it was a case of like right you're allowed out once a day much the same as we are now do your exercise or whatever I'd, yeah i'd go and have a run and generally if you run past another runner there's this kind of like awkward little kind of like wave nod, nod yeah. you know as if uh, but i don't wear the right gear like i'll, yeah. just, I'll just wear <laughs> a pair of old shorts and a jumper and, and i don't really ever get the kind of waves from the guys in like the proper setup yeah like, yeah i'm not in that life. gang yet but what yeah. I found in lockdown, literally sort of three weeks in, that it wasn't just runners. It was like people that were walking on the other side of the road. to be like, hey. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, yeah, wow, 100%. these people are starved of, of, yeah. of, you know, interaction and connection. And, and uh-huh. like, you know, it just, 
I hoped that when it kind of relaxed a little bit, that people would kind of value that more. And... I think so, definitely. Mm. I think, um, like, I live on the top floor of a of a three four flat in terrace housing, and before this, I didn't know my next door neighbours. I didn't. I only knew I only knew the two people who lived below me, and that's because you have to pass there. We all have the same front door, but I didn't know who lived next door. Didn't live. Didn't know who lived over the road. And the clap for carers, like you'd come out at eight o'clock, do your clapping, and then people would just like sit around having a natter from yeah. the balconies. And it was amazing. Like I learned what the woman next door does. I learned like what her two kids are called, and it was, it was, it was really quite sweet. And you realised that it is those really normal connections. Like I find myself if ever I have to like nip out to the corner shop to get some essentials, like I find myself really valuing that quick conversation with the, yeah. the woman behind the counter. Um, so yeah, I think I think personally I've been very fortunate. And professionally, uh, uh, the same thing as well. I think the comedy industry is... I mean, every industry is on its knees, again, isn't it? It's, it's no different to the personal thing. You go, oh, it's tough, but then you clock that it's tough It's tough for everyone. Like, last yeah. night I was doing a Zoom gig, and I was, like, doing this material about the nature of Zoom gigs, saying how difficult it can be. And then I clocked that, like, one of the people on that call was a frontline worker <laughs> who'd, like... <laughs> come to watch us just be funny and there i am being like oh we've had to get used to zing gigs isn't it hard <laughs> you're like jeez mate get like get some perspective um so it's it's just a funny old thing and i certainly didn't think we'd be here now yeah great so when it first happened it was february last year and yeah. i was in australia and was meant to be i'd been out in adelaide for a month and was meant to be going to melbourne for another month and with like three days to go until Melbourne Festival, it got called off and we all just had to fly home. And I remember thinking, I was really angry because Melbourne was, is obviously a month long. And I remember thinking, this is so annoying because this coronavirus thing is probably going to be like a three week long flu or something. It'll be over like so quick. Yeah. And then it sort of like started becoming more of a problem in the UK. Um but I live in Brighton and the first five people that had COVID in the UK were in Brighton. And I was like, oh, bloody hell. And now, like, five people. We we long for the days where we'll have oh, five mate. people with COVID. I, I, I live in Essex and uh, we've got the second highest uh, problem in Europe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's mad. Yeah. It's mad. I just didn't think it would be a, a whole year later. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Oh, hopefully, hopefully this, this, this lockdown and the vaccination will... Will kind of yeah yeah. There's a, there's a yeah. light at the end of the tunnel. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Right. Should we talk records? Yes. Yes, please. Wonderful. Maisie, track one. Song yes. of the greatest intro, please. Right. For me, this came straight into my head. Fifty four forty six by Toots and the Motels. It's just. It's one of them songs, right? Where as soon as it comes on, like I would be like putting my drink down and getting up. On it's just one of them. Of like it, you, you, you know, like um, when a dog is a whistle and their ears prick up. Yeah. That's me when I hear this song. It's it's my introduction to it. My introduction to this song with the best introduction uh, was uh, the film This Is England, of and course. it's used it's used as the, the 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 starting as the as the film begins and sort of um, puts a backdrop to the film. So you're sort of seeing a lot of what's going on in the eighties um, in. Uh, sort of middle of nowhere England um, and it's just it's so punchy it, yeah. pro it, it starts with such a punch 
um, with Toots like screaming down the microphone, and then it proper gets into it. And I, uh, I just, I just really, I really, really love it. It's impossible not to get up and dance to. And it's got it's it's that old school thing of kind of like, um, I guess kind of old like dance hall like from but like from the fifties and sixties of like the 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 singer like shouting a note out and the band coming back yeah matching it on their instruments and then the singer coming back with it again the band matching it and this sort of like very tense to and to and fro before we all get into. To, to, to stomp into it and I, I just love it it's it's but I'm quite a fan of the sort of scar um, I was going to ask that I've, I've, you know your, yeah. your haircut uh, is, yeah. is very is very reminiscent of uh, of that scene and and I've yeah. seen obviously like I've seen you lots wearing kind of you know Fred Perry's and stuff and and yeah is that that kind of sort of two-tone and rude boy kind of culture being a yeah I really I really really love it i love the sort of everything about it really because it's it's a style obviously but it's an ethos as well and it's i love that it's sort of blended of an appreciation of loads of different cultures and sounds from all over the shop um and it's it it, it feels kind of as most like big subcultures do you can identify with it and you can really sort of feel quite um uh represented and sort of seen together like you can you can dress as a collective with other people who are kind of from that from that scene. Um, I think it's also one that's like constantly evolving, and I think you can see that in the way that it's had like all of these. So, it, the, like, say the skinhead movement kicking off in like the sixties, and then being like redone in the eighties, and then even now, like obviously living in Brighton, there's quite a few skins with a lot of mods. But I, I don't, I don't really try and align myself with one in particular. It's, I'd say I'm sort of s- scar is my main thing, but then mod a little bit, um, and then I guess I've got a skin girl haircut. So I'm a sort of fusion of the three. But I just, um, I love the music of it. I love all of the two tone and Trojan stuff. I think it's sort of. I, I guess the the American equivalent is kind of like Motown. Yeah, totally. It's this sort of. It starts as a brand, as a record label, but ultimately, it's uh, it's not just about the music. It's about how these people live their lives. It's about how they dress. It's about their uh, politics, um, and you know, it it can be it can get you in hot water as well. Because obviously, I think recently, like the Proud Boys, obviously adopting like the Fred Perry, and in the eighties, like a load of skinhead thugs being adopting the the the, the skinhead look and, and massively racist it's, it was like, I, I, it's mad really and it's it's i think it's kind of um i it, don't think that's gone away i think that sort of polar especially now that sort of polarization of the left and the right yeah and you both of them sort of adopting tactics of the other of yeah, the other person and totally. sort of rejecting them as their own um but it's uh yeah, for me, it's about the sort of, I guess, I don't want to say, uh, listen, Twitter is a minefield, so I don't want to say the socialist politics. I wouldn't describe it myself as that, but I, I kind of like the, uh, uh, the, the the roots in its ethos as a label, as a brand, as music, as fashion. Um, yeah, I, I, I just love it. So This Is England was a great film for me. Um, 
I am. Um, that was my that was my introduction to, to to this song, and obviously Toots passing. Yeah, uh, of last year, David Rodigan did this amazing like sort of tribute to him on on Six Music. Yeah, it's amazing. Just hearing about his life and yeah. like the origins of this song, of its obviously his prison number, uh, and he was sort of set up basically, um, and 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 had to go to prison for possession of marijuana, and. The song is about fifty four forty six being his his prison number. Now yeah. somebody else has that number, and that sort of rollingness that that comes with the prison system of just you know one in one out, one in one out, and it's somebody else's now, and it, the, the problem's never going away because it's just dealt with on an individual yeah. basis. So yeah, many layers, but the best intro for me. It's, Wonderful. Um, I'm surprised yeah. no one else has ever chosen that, Maisie, because it's it's incredible. It's a banger. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. It's such a banger. Yeah, I love it. Okay, right, I'm going to take you back for track two. And uh, the first <laughs> yeah. song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Okay. Um, again, as a comedian, uh, I'm not used to being this deep early on in a podcast. Normally I'm like, okay, start with the funnies, maybe get deep in like the 40-minute mark, like an Edinburgh show. Um, <laughs> but here we go, we're going to go deep. Um, I'm picking um, Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush, um, which is the actual like reason as to why it's had an emotional impact. I was too young to appreciate. But um, when I was born I had like a few like quite uh, severe health uh, problems and it meant that I was in and out of hospital as a baby for pretty much the first two years of my life I was born with this condition that affects your, your your intestines and it was quite it's it's very very rare and the doctors weren't 100% sure on on what it was and had to get 
other doctors from all over the world kind of uh, giving their perspective on it. And uh, I was in Leeds General Infirmary, as I say, for I think like on and off for the first two years of my life. Um, but I think I'm the oldest, so it's, I was my mum and dad's first kid. And my mum, when I was about 10 or 11, this song came on the radio. My mum just sort of said, I think she thought she'd already told me, but she was like, I used to sing this to you when you were in the intensive care thing. Um, because of the lyrics, um, if I only could, I'd make a deal with God and I'd get him to swap our places. Because she was like, you were so little and helpless and nobody knew how to help you. Um, but I was here, you know, completely fit and healthy. And, and I just wanted to I wanted to take that pain and make yeah. it mine and you be all right. And um, my mum, like, she's uh, I don't I don't <laughs> I'm going to make her sound like she's really cold now. But that was, that was quite a rare thing for her to get that yeah. deep and sort of say and as I said we were, we were just in the car and I was like really I've never heard you say that before and she said it and I found myself like I, I was sort of having to look out the window the other way to sort of not get choked up as I was I've got a massive car. rush of emotion when you said that that's such, yeah, such a beautiful it, it thing and it's got that that backing beat throughout it all it's quite like, tribal me, it isn't it was, yeah it's like a heartbeat mm. like pumping through all the time and now whenever it comes on straight away it goes like right to my heart and I'm like oh my god this is this is what my mum used to sing to me and it's it's such a, a a powerful song I think the way the way that that pulsating beat is in the background um and it just builds and I think I think for me it it just makes me realize like that is a hundred percent my mum like she would do anything like I feel myself getting emotional now but like she would do anything to make somebody else feel good and to take to put it on herself instead so even when I hear it now I I I find myself feeling for my mum and feeling like god she must have felt so because there's nothing worse is there when somebody needs help and you can't you can't do anything it's great if you know what to do and you go right I can fix this and again that's that's a kind of mentality my mum has she's quite practical she's like okay problem solution what you know how do I get from A to B and when you've got a kid who's got a problem that nobody's heard of before it's called Hirschsprung's disease no one's heard of it so and she would have been what my age now I think she was she was 26 must have felt and so there, helpless having your first kid and yeah. the, the, you know you'd, you'd be so excited for it you just want to do the sort of Hollywood thing of going into the, the the hospital having the baby you both leave later that day lovely stuff and instead it was like two years of touch and go kind yeah. of is, is is she all right and it was it was a real treat for them just to be able to take me home for like one night. It was really, really tough for them, I think. And I don't think I really appreciated how tough it must have been yeah. on my mum and dad until I kind of started getting a bit older and my mum started dropping these bombshells on me. Like, here's this emotional Kate Bush song that I used to sing to you. <laughs> oh, that's so lovely, though. Yeah, yeah, it means a lot. It really means a lot to me. Um, and she, like, I don't know if you've ever seen Kate Bush live, but my mum took me to see her. Um, it would have been about five, six years ago now. Oh, you got tickets? Yeah, yeah. You know those ones where she did, like, a, just I think it was, like, ten nights at the Apollo? No phones, that one. No phones, yeah. And um, it was the first live gig she'd done in 25 years, I think. And it was 100% no phones. Like, the lights went out. And this dickhead, two rows in front of me, straight up with the iPad. And these stewards were, like, straight in there, almost like little Bo Peep, like, pulling them off. It yeah. was great. It was, And, it, and it, it does make all the difference to a concert, especially one like Kate Bush, because it was sort of 
theatre meets that makes it sound really wanky, but it was dead good. I promise. Yeah, but it was like a proper. It is. Like, she's, show. It's, a, it's pure art, isn't it? What she does. It is, and it, that's that's exactly it. It's art, and people have spent a lot of. T- she would have spent, you know, with her producers and directors, so much time creating this show to create this world to try and take you to, and then you've played bloody seventy odd quid to get a ticket to then have someone stood in front of you, live stream, you know, or, or like just trying to. Take a shaky video that nobody is going to ever want to watch on your tiny little iPhone 5. Like, no one <laughs> is going to want to see that video. Just sit there, enjoy the gig, and rave about it to people on a podcast years later. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what? I, I went to see, like, maybe eight years ago, I went to see Madonna in Hyde Park, purely because I, oh, yeah. I wanted to tick the box. It was just like, you know, one of the biggest pop stars of you know my, my, yeah. my youth. And it was like, right, I've never seen Madonna. Never got to see Michael Jackson. It was like, these are the biggest pop stars. Uh, yeah, you yeah. Know, I'm going to go and watch Madonna. And, How late uh, was she? Um, I don't know. I don't think she was that late, but she was fucking shit. Like, was she? Oh, my God. Like, you hear about her, she's either brilliant or people come out going absolute dog shit. Right. Now you just think, right, please just come on stage Play the Immaculate Collection. I just want all the yes. hits. Yes, right. yes. I've already had to buy your new album as part of the ticket price. So, oh, so no, you automatically go to number one. Yeah. And honestly, matey, she just played the new album. All the new stuff. Three of the old ones, one of which she'd done it in like a kind of swing version, which was just utter shit. Oh, and man. then went off stage and I thought, here comes the encore. And then you heard the intro music to Holiday – and it was like, we're going to get holiday. And then on the big screens, either side of the stage, up come the video, to which everybody kind of roared with like joy that she's going to come back on whilst the video... And No, that was it. She just put the video on. She just whacked the video on? And fucked off. No! <laughs> so what's going on here? Oh, the it... audacity! <laughs> it was so bad. Yeah. It, you know, imagine, imagine if I went up to Edinburgh... And my show was only 50 minutes long. I thought, oh, it's all right. For the last 10 minutes, I'll just whack on some old episodes of Mock the Week. It'll be all right. <laughs> you like, can get away with it. Madonna did. That's mad. Yeah. That's so cheeky. It was, uh, it was really, really... Do you know what? She played um, Like a Prayer, which was amazing. And yeah. I think she like played it like fourth or fifth after like five songs that basically, unless you're a hardcore <laughs> fan, you'd never have heard. And like, and the crowd were just bored. And when she played like a prayer, the re- appreciation was ridiculous. Now, when you think, you're yeah. Madonna, you must have rehearsed like however many of your back catalogue. You need to kind of switch this up and just give yeah. the fans what they want yeah. to a degree. Do you know what I mean? I understand yeah. you've got new records and you want to progress as an artist, but yeah, it was. Uh, that, oh God, no, that's that, not that weren't that's great. Not the one. No, Kate Bush got pretty pretty much a good uh, a good mix here. Like we got all the classics, mm. and obviously. I think I think as well because like it was both just me and my mum when running up that hill happened. It was sort oh, of like wow. a, we're both we're both new, but we're not we're not sort of the type to like suddenly hold each other's hands and rock together. But it was very much just to, like I knew she was thinking it, and she knew I was. Yeah. It was yeah, you know, and you just sort of you can feel your eyes filling with fifty percent water. And you're just like, <laughs> Trying to, trying to blink through it all. The, the reason I mentioned the Madonna thing purely was because 
in front of me was a guy that lifted up an iPad and filmed the whole thing. And oh. I remember just thinking, A, like, why have you brought an iPad to a gig? And B, yeah. if anyone's going to ever watch and watch this shower of shit again. Nobody wants to see it. No one. Hmm. Nobody wants to see it. That's why concert DVDs exist. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. Song that reminds you of your time at school, please, Maisie. <laughs> well, as you know, Stu, there was like probably five or six in the running for this. You can have some um, honourable mentions. Okay, honourable mentions would be um, probably American Boy by Kanye West and Estelle. Um, a few of them, like th- those brilliant indie years where we had like, I mean, they were brilliant for me because I was a proper indie kid, but like the Wombats and like Razorlight, I was proper. Landfill language, Indie, I any, think that's called now. Oh, yeah. Any, what's it called now? Landfill Indie. Landfill Indie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Any lad who had skinny jeans and curly hair, I was Winkle, all over Winkle Pickers? Match. Pardon? Would it have been the Winkle Pickers as well? Yeah, yeah. Winkle, yeah, yeah. Um, or some really shit, like white top man pumps yeah um yeah yeah and they always um played their guitar really high up like yeah. just under their nipples um yeah just any any band like that scouting for girls all of them really rubbish i mean, I mean that's rude but it, it was. when you listen you know when you listen back to it and i like, mean every single band that you've mentioned <laughs> have been on this podcast <laughs> oh oh no really oh shit oh. <laughs> No, they're obviously very good reflection. Um, I remember, I remember, I did a, I had a paintballing birthday for like my fourteenth. Nice. And I invited this lad who lived down the road, and um, he was quite like the good-looking, like like everybody fancied him, and he got me a scouting for girls CD, and everybody was like. Um, did you clock that? And I was like, what? And he was like, he got your Scouting for Girls. Like, boys don't buy a girl a Scouting for Girls CD unless they want to make it official. So I was like, oh, my God, really? Do you think? So I spent my whole, like, paintballing birthday party humming Scouting for Girls whenever he was nearby, like, completely overreading this situation. But he thought you were so lovely. Yeah, 100%. I was thinking all of that. I was like, yes, I, I am the, what he thinks. She's so lovely. Like, he's basing that on me. And... Actually, upon reflection, it was very much like it was a panic buy. Maybe his mum went into HMV and saw what was like in the top five and was like, Matthew, you're getting of this. Um, but I've decided to pick as the one from school, TikTok by Kesha. Okay. Um, mainly because I think it's absolutely mad that this song was like a good decade ago, yet, or what feels like a decade ago, I think it was a decade ago, Um yeah, she called it TikTok, spelt like how we have TikTok now, T-I-K-T-O-K, which is now like this mad new online platform where youngsters are singing and dancing. And she was so ahead of her time. I mean, I don't think the song is about this platform. It's about waking up really hungover uh, and just cracking on with the day, really. Uh, but that, for me, as a youngster, was like the coolest thing to be yeah. singing about, to sort of be like, oh, my God, I was so wasted last night. <laughs> like, I'm so grown up um, from all those WKDs I've had. Um, <laughs> I just loved it. I really liked Kesha because she was, she was sort of... She was sort of in that crowd of um, girls that were probably quite... Uh, uh, quite quite badass or was certainly trying to be quite um you know oh i'm not what women experience i guess like in the uk we had that whole like ladette thing with like lily allen coming in and amy 
but over there they were having things like Kesha and I guess now even Miley Cyrus is doing it of being like look how what a not good girl I am yeah it <laughs> was though wasn't it the enemy picked up is, on Kesha they loved that. her didn't they I know and we sit here now being like how silly was it and like you look at Miley now and she's still using that same tactic and people are absolutely going for it yeah. it's, it's, it's great Katy Perry was another one of just being like do you know what sometimes I kiss a girl <laughs> and everyone was like oh my god you're so you're so out there what you sometimes kiss a girl? Um, and this was exactly the same thing with Kesha. It was like, uh, I think I think she just alluded to the fact she might have had sex last night. That is so rock and roll. Because <laughs> she's a girl. Um, even though, and it just comes in waves, doesn't it? Ten years before that, it was Avril Lavigne. Then it was Kesha. Now it's Miley. It'll be someone, someone else actually on TikTok um, yeah. soon. But, um, yeah, it was just a proper... It felt like one of those songs that was cool to sing out loud because maybe just maybe people will think they're sort of like, that's your life as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I also woke up this morning feeling like P. Diddy. I can really relate. To that <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So- it just reminds me of all their naff parties, you know, like waking up uh, like in a tent in someone's garden or like on the, on the sofa and you've just got a load of cans of Magnus round you. Like, really naff <laughs> yeah. house parties um, of your teen, teen years. Yeah, just takes me back to them. So, how was school? Uh, I went to St Aidan's Church of England High School. Um, and where's in, that? It's, quite, it's in quite a posh town. Um, so, I lived in Panel, which is a little town, little village. But I went to school in um, Harrogate, which is... Um, very, very posh, very white, very middle class. A um, lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of people with names like Juniper. Um, <laughs> was there a Juniper? <laughs> yeah, there was, yeah, in the year below. I used, to, I used to find that out. There was a Juniper, there was a Serenity. I used to find this absolutely mad. I'd be like, what? Um, but it was a very middle class town. So I think, Especially upon reflection, the idea that we were all going round being like, oh, so rock and roll last night. And you're like, no, you just had a party in your rich stepdad's house. Like, yeah. uh, I think, yeah, I think um, everybody sort of reflects on their youth, don't they? It's quite rock and roll. And mine was sort of, it, it was, it was strange because I went to school with a lot of like middle class white kids, but then also at the weekends we'd be going out like to Leeds uh, and like mixing with like other schools from there and, and, and our, and our mates from around Leeds. And so that was quite a bit more varied. And then also like where I live. So like just my village, it's quite rural. So like a party for us was literally getting battered in a field um, on whatever booze you'd nicked from your, from your parents, like drinks cupboard. Um, So like quite a, quite a variation of, of nights out it, it was I, I do remember sort of if you had like a night out plan for friday and saturday one could be absolutely rogue and minging on a friday and then the next night you could be in somebody's house where you're asked to take your shoes off on the way in like <laughs> yeah it was quite quite strange but yeah I, I loved my school years as well absolutely like best years did you know far. what you wanted to be no no i knew i knew i wanted to I think I knew I wanted to perform, but I had no idea it would be comedy, stand-up comedy. I didn't think of that as a career. I thought it was something... Um, I, 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 
yeah, I just I never thought of myself as a stand-up comedian. I thought I was gonna do like theatre, maybe like a drama drama degree, maybe go into like um like teaching drama for a bit. I I had no real to be honest with you, Stu, like direction on 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 where or how to to go about stuff. I loved being creative, so I loved writing. I loved drama. Um, was you confident? Yeah, yeah, I was confident, and I was that person in the in the friendship group that would sort of do anything for a laugh. Like I wasn't wasn't really particularly bothered about being cool. I just wanted to make the cool people laugh. Did you like attention? Yeah, yeah, I think I did. Um, but I, I sort of found myself in like this weird middle ground where like the popular kids liked me because I could make them laugh and I was funny, and then my mates liked me because I was sort of the funny one in their group. But I, I, I didn't feel like I needed to make people. I, I don't, I don't feel like I tried to be the funny one. I just sort of not sound like a wanker but it sort of just came instinctively yeah if someone said something to come in with the funny thing to do or like to to make someone laugh but i i definitely didn't think of comedy as a viable thing so i i did drama and then when it got to the bit where like everyone was picking universities i I remember it sort of like suddenly hitting me and being like i'm not passionate about any of these academic subjects to pursue like i'm just i'm just not and I really liked drama, and my, I had a really good drama teacher. She looked just like Kate Bush, actually. And she um, she was like, you should go to a drama school. You shouldn't go to a university because you'll find yourself writing a lot. It's, it's, it's quite academic. Although you do a drama degree, you'll be writing a lot and doing a lot of, like, theses and stuff. Go to a drama school and learn how to be, a, you know, the best actor you can be. And so I did that. And drama school, I don't know if you know much about them, one of the maddest places you could ever go, full of the most like uh, egotistical kids who've like like big fish in a small pond. They've all been Mary in the nativity, and then you're I all just picture together. loads of like little Bonnie Langfords. Just yeah, like... yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. It's like that. And and then the the teachers are quite um, sort of old school drama teachers. Well, certainly the ones at, at mine were who were quite no real grasp on reality. Um, it, it was really strange. It's sort of like being in a cult for three years, genuinely. It, it was, Could you it see was through really it? Pardon? Did you see through it? Yeah, I did. But by the end, I knew 100% I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So I'm, I often like find myself chatting about because because I chat about it to my boyfriend a lot because he didn't go to uni and he found authentically what he wants to do. He runs a cocktail bar. And I found, I guess, authentically what I wanted to do. But I don't think I would have found out that I wanted to do comedy had I not gone to uni and realised I didn't want to act. Because acting, you're so not in control. You're, you're, you're going to auditions, you're hoping your face looks right, your voice sounds right, you're hoping the, uh, the person they've already cast as the other person I work well with. They're hoping that the director's good, that they get a good audience, that the team works well together, that everyone's got a good group work ethic. So you could be like the best actor and turn up with all of your lines done and everything. But if none of those things are falling into place, if the director's rubbish, if the script is bad, if there's not a big audience or if the venue's rubbish, it all falls through. Comedy, you write it, you perform it. And if both are good, you get all the praise. If both are shit, you can't blame anyone else. It can only be you. And that's what I love about it. It's like comedy, it's all, you reap all, you, you get 
out what you put in. Well, um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I touched on something a, a, a while back, just asking if you was confident because you've you know you've chosen a, a field of work where you know you're up there on your own in front of an audience, you know, with a lot of pressure on you to well make us laugh then, and yeah. and, and so I touched on confidence, but you're also in an industry that's um, you know. I guess very competitive and, 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 you know, there's a lot of comedians and to, and to break through and to reach the level that you've, you've reached is is really impressive. And so uh, I also want to ask you, are you you very driven? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. I like to put across that I'm incredibly laid back. (laughs) And I think for a long time I thought I was very laid back. And then I think because of the nature of comedy, you think, oh, comedians, we all wake up at 11 and, you know, we're night owls and we're not, you know, we're just sort of commenting on life, maybe saying a joke here and then. And that's true, but <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm very, I'm very driven. And I think it, I think it comes from as well, not knowing for so long what it was I wanted to do. And then I found this. And when you find something like this, where you feel really at home and comfortable and I, I this is terrible if anybody's listening to this and they've seen me die on my arse on stage and be like, oh, Stina, she was shit. But <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you find something, you're like, this is what I was meant to do. You don't ever, ever want to go back to working in retail like what I was doing before. Did it you feel don't like that wanna... in comedy quite quickly? Yeah, 100%. 100%. So when I started comedy, I was working, um, I was working all of these temp jobs where you sign up to a temp agency and they just send you out. So I was doing like waitressing at weddings i did shifts in burger vans at like festivals um like loads of just rubbish to, i was like serving pims in millennium square in uh leeds whilst the wimbledon was on to like people who were just sat watching wimbledon and that was when i got a phone call saying you've got through to the semi-final of so you think you're funny which is the competition i won that then allowed me to basically be a full-time comedian so that's what i was doing when this all kicked off and when when you find something like that it's sort of like again, not to sound really wanky, but it's a bit like when you fall in love and you 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 clock like this is this is amazing, yeah. and I don't want I don't want to lose it. Like it's it's perfect for me, yeah. And it it's, it kind of feels like that, and it's and I think yeah, there's 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 definitely milestones I've got in my head, and I'm 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 wanting to achieve those, and so I'm I'm kind of. I'm I'm quite driven in that respect, and I think it's because for so long I didn't I didn't really know. And I had friends that were also into drama, and they all knew that they wanted to be actors, and are still doing that now. And I think always in the back of my head, I was like, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess, if we like drama, we want to be actors. Okay, yeah, let's go and be actors. And I came out of drama school and was like, I don't, I don't want to be that. And I think that's why I became a comedian as well, is because we comment on reality yeah. whereas theater creates this sort of it's not real it's yeah. it's it's a front it's something that's um very different and often especially the kind of people i was working with in in, in drama school we'd be putting on a play and i'd be like Do you know what this play is not as weird or interesting as half of the personalities in here i'd much rather just do stand up for half an hour yeah talking about how mad you are and how weird this kid is and how yeah. like up his own ass he is and how like full of you you know just like almost like a roast in my head constantly yeah. i was like this is a sitcom i'm living in a sitcom yeah and i would much rather write that sitcom than try and put on a performance of uh, like uh midsummer night's dream with them all um 
so surely, I mean, you know, that, that drive that you've got obviously just comes from finding something that you're passionate about. And it's easy to be, you know, it's a lot easier to be driven if you're, you really like what you're doing, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I, I also know for a fact that I am terrible at jobs that I'm not passionate. If, if, if it's not what I want to do, I won't give it 100%. Like, I, when I worked in retail, I was terrible. I, I always, like, I met my best friend through that job and she always laughs at me. And we laugh about it now because she was like, you were, you were awful. Like you were really, really bad. And I was like, it's because I didn't, I didn't care. So yeah. I didn't invest in it at all. And our boss used to be like, what's your problem? And I'd be like, well, I don't know. Like I just sort of, I, I just, I would turn up hungover late. I wouldn't, I wasn't fussed about like my mate Steph. She's always like, Oh, you, you used to be on packing the bags and I'd be scanning them through the till. And um, we'd have been gossiping. And then, like, somebody comes up to take a, you know, to, 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 to buy something. And that's when we're meant to stop and be like, how's your day today? Da, da, da. And apparently I would just be like, yeah, so anyway, um, he shagged her around the side of the uh, Royal Hall and just carrying on in front of customers. Because I just, I just don't care. I can't get invested in a, in a job I, I'm not, I'm, that I know isn't for me. Because mm. I, I, in my whole head, constantly i'd be like well, this is temporary why would i work for promotion in something where if i get that promotion it means nothing to me whereas if i work for promotion in averted commas in this industry it'll mean the world if i get it you know absolutely well let's stay in the formative years for uh for for track uh for no we're not it's track four isn't it of course it is um yeah, it's the formative years. I want to know for... It's still formative, yeah. It is, yeah. The first song that you remember buying from a record shop, please, Maisie. I mean, you, you're, 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 you know, you're a youngster, so I, was it a CD? This is so embarrassing because it was a CD, but my mum had to go with me to get it because I didn't know who sang it. And obviously it was before, it was before, like, Shazam or Google. You couldn't, like, just go, oh, who sings that? So I'd heard it on the radio loads and was like, I want that song. I want the CD of that song. And my mum was like, oh, well, let's go into the record store and buy it. I, I don't know how old I was, maybe like seven, seven or eight. I want to say I was like seven or eight. And it was um, Princess Superstar, Bad Babysitter, the song, right? But I didn't know it was Princess Superstar, but I'd heard it loads. And my mum was like, come on, we'll, we'll go into this record store. And we went in to this like record shop in Leeds. And my mum was like, hi, we were looking for it for ages and I, I couldn't find it. We didn't know what the album art was. We just knew how the song went. I don't even think we knew it was called Bad Babysitter. Also, I'm just going to address the elephant in the room. I'm really, really sorry that my song is Bad Babysitter because it's terrible. This, is, it is. this is the one where you can't be cool, this question. Yeah. So don't worry, you're in good yeah, company. It's, oh, well, that, then it's very on brand. Um, <laughs> and we went into this... We went into this record store in Leeds and looking for it for ages. And then my mum was like, well, just ask. And so my mum was like, uh, hi, to this to this kid who was probably like 21, 22. And she was like, hi, do you have the Bad Babysitter song? And he was like, sorry, what are you want about? And he was like, she was like, you know, the um, Bad Babysitter song. And before I knew what was happening, my mum was singing Get the in. song at him. <laughs> Going and the lyrics as well for my mum to be singing in front of me to this like twenty odd year old 20, 21 year old lad. She was going, you know, um, 
I'm a bad babysitter, got my boyfriend in the shower. Ooh, I'm making six bucks an hour. In the middle of this record show in Leeds, I literally was like, please can the world implode and <laughs> forever. It honestly put me off going to buy a record for a good few years. Yeah. I reckon from then on, I'd just hear a song on the radio and be like, that was nice, I hope it comes on again soon. I was not going to buy stuff because that was traumatic. Watching your mother sing, I'm a bad babysitter, I've got my boyfriend in the shower making six books an hour was horrific. Um, Did he recognise it then? Pardon? Did he recognise it then? No, no, this is the worst thing. It just kept going on. So he, she, was, she sang all of this, and then he was like, no, not ringing a bell, sorry. And also, it would have defo rung a bell. That's of course it was. He was time. so messing with your mum. But he was either, like, messing with my mum or was too cool to admit that he knew Bad Babysitter. Yeah. By Princess Superstar. I've worked but, in lots of record oh. shops, Maisie, and it, it definitely is a thing that when them kind of people come in that don't really know it, you just think... Sing it, sing oh, it. Oh God! And Does, it happens is it quite a lot. Common? Yeah, oh God, yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I used to get God. like. I mean, I haven't worked in a, in a record shop for a long, long time, but I, there was one Christmas um, where uh, the best of In Excess and the best of Sade both come out at the same <laughs> time, and the amount of kind of mums and nans. I say mums. Oh, like, I'm no. 47. I should, you know, I, I, I'm a dad, but it felt like obviously they were it just felt older. But they're being like, "Have you got the best of um, that Sade?" Uh, or inks, oh. and it was Sade and inks that I used to just think, "Oh God!" Inks. And like, but they'd always be the person that'd be like, "No, I don't know, don't know who they are." As like, it go. and then the, yeah, yeah, as it go, like, <laughs> oh God, so yeah, it put me off for for, for ages. So as you've got older, and, and obviously you know we, we've spoken about you, you know your, your passion for kind of scar and stuff like that. Have you then kind of do, do you collect records now? I don't collect them. Um, I um, when my mum and when I left uh, home to, to to move down to Brighton, my mum gave me her record collection. So, um, which was really sweet because I think growing up, I did inherit a lot of my music taste from my mum. Was a, a punk, and she she kind of still is to be honest. Still dresses all punk, and she music's like her absolute passion she's got a weird encyclopedic knowledge of 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 loads of weird music facts and the lyrics to princess superstar and the lyrics to princess superstar (laughs) um but she's like i've inherited a lot of music tastes and music knowledge and kind of appreciation for loads of different like as i say she's a punk but she also just has really weird in-depth knowledge of loads of different sub-genres and 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 a lot of like weird facts about musicians and stuff she's yeah she's very very much got an eclectic taste and when she gave me a record collection i kind of saw that i was like there was everything from sort of like tina turner to like the police to uh like blondie sex pistols loads of rolling stones she absolutely adores rolling stones um and then there was a lot of like two-tone and and trojan stuff and that's kind of the stuff that i kind of found myself playing more than more than most um so yeah i guess i I don't collect records because i feel like i'm I'm quite open to new stuff all the time and 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 i quite like that discovering of of something new i I tried to collect you know when like vinyl came back really because you've got some good record shops down where you are really really good really really good and we've got a like record player but i find that 
I like a new band and I'll play the album like for a week or something and then it just sits there because then there's a new band that I've discovered yeah. and there's a new band and like as much as I love the whole like record thing that is kind of why Spotify is so great is that you just end up with this absolute back catalogue in your back pocket of stuff where it's like oh, I heard this on an advert and I love it yeah. uh, my mum told me about these lot who were great when she was young and then this is on the radio at the moment like there's just loads of yeah. So, so my Spotify is just a mix of like everything. Yeah. It's got no order to it at all. Um, it's easy yeah, to get I'd caught definitely... up in that kind of oh, well, you know, it's, it was you know, f- for me at my age, you know, oh, you know, it's, you, there's so much to be got from like you know going out and buying a record, blah blah. But it's you know, it's of its time, and it's nice if you know to have a piece of vinyl, but. The convenience of Spotify and things like that is just the convenience is 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 the main thing. However, I do think something that's being lost as a result of it is that thing of making an album. Yeah. So a lot of stuff as a, now... as a, as a piece of art, like as a body of work. Yeah. 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 So a lot of stuff now, like again, I, I feel like it's always quite surprising because of, I guess, my haircut and like how I dress. Everyone expects me to just be into kind of one thing, but yeah. I bloody love pop bloody love pop bloody love rock i'm very very eclectic and um i listened like ariana grande's on the radio all the time there's a few things that she'll get out usually like i love for the dance floor and she released an album fairly recently and i bobbed that on and it was so an album of like now of yeah. this generation who don't want to listen to sort of an over an hour or an hour and a half of a particular idea or mood they want singles, they want songs that are sort of two minute thirty, three minute max, that they can bob on an Instagram story and then crack on. Whereas like I do I do think there's something a lot better sorry, that's my door going. I do think there's something to be said for people who create an actual album with a mood or a journey or a particular thought going on. Um and that's kind of what I'm what I miss, because those albums I think are really, really quite special. Yeah, definitely. I I, I completely agree. At like you know, you, you wouldn't get a, you know, a Marvin Gaye. What's going on? You know, a concept no. album that you know works together as a, as, a, as a complete body work. But I think one of the things that is also changing um, is is people's attention spans. You know, yeah. I, I watch my children and how they, you know, you know, ingest their media, and it's like you say TikTok and Snapchat, and it's like nothing's more than like two minutes, you know, yeah. and, and it's just so fast now and 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 almost disposable um, that, that I do think it does it does make and, and I think that's one of the things that I love about podcasts, Maisie. To be honest, is the fact that it feels to me that podcast is one of the only sort of things now where people will just go. Oh, do you know what? I'm going to put my headphones in when I go for a walk, or yeah. and 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 they'll get they'll get lost in it for an hour, and and, yeah. and and I think that's quite strange in in a very fast-paced world that people will take that moment to to you know ingest a piece of media for an hour, you know, yeah, without kind 100%. of you know the, 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 you know that constant thing of down the side of the screen if you're on YouTube or Spotify, you might like this, you might like this, you know, yeah, and so yeah, I do think that's one of the kind of good things about about podcasts. No, we were watching um we were watching there's a like this is not what young people should say but anyway we were watching mastermind whilst having our tea the other night and john humphreys said to a i think a radio one dj and was like um 
Oh no, no, some, it was a news presenter, and he was like, "So, um, do you think that news could be going? Like the the importance of news could be going because young people they don't really watch the news." And I thought it was such a stupid thing to say. But and then like the next person that came on, I think yeah, was a Radio One presenter, and he was like, "Do you think music's still important because young people don't listen to the radio?" And I was like. It's not that what they do isn't important. It's just the formats. Check. Of course. course, young people, young people still taking the news. Often more than anyone, they're all over Twitter. Like as we as we're recording this, last night was the night where um, Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol. I've gone on Twitter this morning. It's all people my age tweeting about it, and much faster than it takes my bloody dad to read about it when he goes down to the shop and buys a paper yep. or waits until the six o'clock news that day. Yeah, and it's the same with music. Like, of course, not so many people are listening and bu- like buying a radio and putting the radio on in their house. It's because they've got Spotify in their ears all day, every day. Yeah. Um, and I think. I think it's the same thing, like, as you say, with podcasts. It's not that people don't want to spend, like, ages listening to something anymore. It's just that the format has changed. So whereas they don't perhaps want to listen to a whole album where all the songs are moving in a certain directional theme, they'd just rather listen to a podcast that addresses it, uh, that direct, uh, addresses it directly. Yeah, completely. I think, perhaps. I think you can see that in the way that, you know, if you look at iTunes now, you know, people would just go in there and cherry pick the song that they like from the album, not necessarily the album. And so Uh it's it's a complete double-edged sword. You know, as much as you may lose that kind of, you know, that, that immersing yourself in a record and, and, and hearing, you know, what, you know, it as a body of work, but you're also, if you're cherry picking songs, you're, opening up you know yourself to so much new music and and that's one of the really positive things of you know of of streaming services um well one of the things that solidifies the fact that 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 the young people are still obsessed with music uh is going to be my tenuous link to to track five which is about (laughs) clubbing and uh, even though my daughter turned 18 last month and uh, for her 18th birthday, literally sat in the kitchen and had a pizza with me and my oh, wife. Oh, no, like, bless her. God, she, you know, you should be, you should be like literally throwing up Halka Pops somewhere, you know, outside a nightclub. The 18th birthday as well. That is the one, the 18th, because you've been going out before yeah. you're 18 and it's felt, it's felt naughty. Like you've yeah. had to borrow a fake ID. You've had to, you've had to, you know, work your way around getting alcohol or whatever. Yeah. 18... Yeah, 18th birthday night out, I can remember mine still so clear. It's like the the sort of smugness of knowing <laughs> everything I do tonight is going to be completely legal and legit. <laughs> yeah. And if anyone's got something to say, I can just show them this little card that says, I've every right to be here, thank you. Um, it's, yeah, it was amazing, 18th birthday parties. And, and again, like... But how I said about school, basically school and, and, and those sort of years of like 17, 18, 19, I just think back on with such like fond memories. It was so great. I feel like I just didn't have a care in the world. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but therefore I didn't really feel any particular pressure. Yeah. Because um, I guess like my mates who were like, I want to be a doctor. They were like, so I know that I need to get these grades and then try and get here. I was like, I don't know what I want to do, but I think it's going to involve me being the centre of attention. So in the meantime, <laughs> I'm just going to get absolutely off my tits on WKD. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's practising, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and clubbing as well when I was 18. So I turned 18 in 2012. And I think it's like... Again, in the last year, because everybody's collectively gone, 2020 was absolute dog shit. Mm-hmm. 
it's also made you remember the years where kind of collectively we all sort of went it's really it's going things are going really well at the moment like do you remember everybody collectively also decided 2016 was shit because of like brexit trump mm-hmm. and all of the national treasures that died i think 2012 i think is the last year everybody can collectively go it was, it was a good time in people's lives you know it's good it was good we had a nice really nice summer that year we had the uh, olympics london 2012 so everyone was feeling very together everyone was feeling very supportive very open like the phrase london london is open was everywhere so everyone was kind of encouraging and embracing different cultures different people coming over to visit we were hosting we, we felt like we were hosting like a party it was like very much like come on in yeah. this is gonna be great and I remember 2012 feeling like that. Like, I turned 18. It was very much so, – and all my mates were turning 18. And it was very much like we're suddenly all independent. Some of us have got a car. And where, where, where was you at this point? We've, we've got a car. So, where was I? Yeah. Yeah, so I was at sixth form um, at St Aidan's. I had a sixth right, form okay. college. Yeah. So it, St Aidan's is a Church of England school. And for the sixth form college, it joins up with the Catholic school down the road. Very, very contentious rivalry. Um, and it was, it was great. Like me and my mates, some of us had cars that were off. I was share, like I was allowed to drive my Nana's car on a Monday to school, Peugeot 206. And it was, it was absolutely, it, it just felt for the first time, very independent, very free. Like we've got massively, freedom. massively. And we were going out pretty much every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. So the, the local, the most local club was one in Harrogate called the Viper Rooms. And then it had this like spin-off one around the corner called Moco, which was a little bit rough around the edges. Right, let's go back to the Viper Rooms quickly, because for me, straight away, I'm thinking like, um, like LA. I'm thinking like, well, that, was where, that was where River Phoenix died, wasn't it? The Viper Rooms. Like, oh, uh, yeah, 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 in, in so, LA, yeah. You know, similar Nothing kind like of thing? <laughs> no, it used, to be, it used to be a Ministry of Sound. Right. And then it became the Viper Rooms. And it's very much, it looks like every Essex nightclub. It looks like a yep. scene from the only ways Essex. So lots of leather booths, um, lots of sort of people, uh, like like really tacky plastic chandeliers yeah. down there. And then people would pose under them with like a bucket of Grey Goose vodka that was definitely just filled with like Smirnoff yeah, vodka. Yeah, definitely. Um, but as a sort of side hustle, so I worked at Fat Face. I was working in retail when I was in sixth form. Uh, and then I worked as a cleaner Monday, Wednesday, Friday after school, cleaning the school. They had this initiative of like, oh, you can apply to be a cleaner at the school and we'll pay you really well. So I did two hours after school every night. And then I also, on Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, would sort out the guest list for these nightclubs. So being like, oh, I'll put, pop your name down. And for every name that I, uh, that I got on the, on the guest list that said, oh, I'm on Maisie's guest list, I got a quid. Which was great because, like, there wasn't many nightclubs in Harrogate. As I say, there was like this one and then the little weird spin off one. So, on a night out, you could get like seven, you, you just had to get most of your sixth form college to be out that night and say your name. And that would be 100 quid for the night. So, still to this day, the richest I have ever been was when I was 17, 18, because I was <laughs> earning retail, cleaning, and uh, promoting this nightclub. And I had no out, I was living at home. And so I had like nothing, nothing to spend it on, but it was all coming in. 
and it was all just going on nights out. So I absolutely lived for nights out around this time. And um, I remember like going out Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. We even me and my me and my three best mates we went on a like a holiday to Zante um, for just just to go clubbing every night. And it was, I think my liver is still recovering almost eight years later, nine years later. It was, it was amazing. It was brilliant. We did litter picking at the Great Yorkshire Show for a week to save up for this holiday. Um, and it worked a treat. It was amazing. It was, it was just brilliant. And I think the, those years are sort of 20, 2011, 2012 for clubbing, it was sort of um, an era of quite unadulterated, like intense banger. Like they weren't trying to be cool. I don't think. Like when when I listen back to it now, I'm like, I don't, I don't remember this being cool at the time. It was sort of a bit tongue in cheek. It's a lot of Pitbull, a lot of David Guetta, yeah, um, and a sort of a lot of that kind of typical heavy bass beat with a very high female voice over it. Like if you're thinking like Winter Gordon, yeah. Um, it was, I mean, before that, before we were all going on proper nights out, we were the generation that were listening to, like, Cascada. So it was very, like, Europop mm. heavy. So, I mean, I'm not surprised a lot of the lads that I used to go clubbing with have now come out gay because it was a lot of heavy heavy Europop, clubland, Eurovision-type yeah. music we were listening to. And I think upon reflection, yeah, they probably were enjoying that too much and I probably should have maybe not been so surprised when years later they were like, I'm gay. And I was like, I did think it was weird that you absolutely loved Cascada. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And I think the one that stands out again, there was loads. There was two, one, two by Azealia Banks will always take me back. To, so to good. But I, I felt, yeah, it's such a bang. It's like it low key. It's still one of my favorite songs of all time. It's, I reckon. Amazing. it's just one of them ones. If it comes on a night out, I'm like, oh, here we go. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think she's a bit problematic, isn't she? She's a bit, yeah. She's a bit odd. Very so, much um, so. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't go for Azealia Banks, but also love her song. I was like, it's the equivalent of that, like a boomer coming on this podcast and going, Do you know what? I'm going to pick Gary Glitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, I'll just, I'll just separate. Do you know what? Yeah. I've had lots of people that have gone and like kind of gone with like Slade or. Yeah. Um, uh, oh God! What was uh, uh, the sweet? But the conversation that that kind of arises that from that is like basically they would have chosen a Gary Glitter track, but you're not allowed <laughs> to anymore. <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? I, I, yeah, I, I loved Two One Two, and and Azealia Banks was again kind of in that like thing of women who were like doing the whole "I don't give a fuck" kind of thing. Yeah. And it's not new. It wasn't new then. It's not really that new now. And but still, it's very exciting, and still, it somehow feels new and feels very like no one's ever said this before, even though Blondie was saying it in 1983. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and then I nearly went for Nicki Minaj because she was coming out with again really unadulterated, what a lot of people could quite rightly call shit pop of sort of pound the alarm, um, starships. I remember. Starships was always the one that if you were using a fake ID, I've got this like very vivid memory. I used to have to borrow a, an ID, borrow. We found an ID on the floor of a girl called Rhiannon who was 26 and she had blonde hair and dark roots. Such a good hassle. So I was like, oh my God, I'm going to use this. So I used this poor Rhiannon girl's ID at 17 years old, claiming to be 26. 
Um, worked every time. Should have taken that as a rude thing, but whatever. Um, and I've got this very vivid memory of getting the nod from the bouncers and going through, following my friend Emma. And as you opened the doors after you got through the queue to the nightclub, the uh, Nicki Minaj starships that do 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 do, and I was like. Here we go. Like, there's no more barriers. I'm in, and I'm not going to get chucked out unless it's for throwing up in the booth. Like, this is it for the night. I've done it. It felt like genuinely like the doors of heaven opening. It was, it was, it was great. But ultimately, I had to go with this choice. It's, it's probably quite obvious. It's probably like a big, pretty much soundtrack to those years. Um, but Avicii levels. Mm-hmm. Um. Big, big time, I think, for European DJs just, like, making... You know, we had, like, Swedish House Mafia. Yeah, it's huge. Which was, like, this trio of amazing European DJs. Um, I'm hesitant to put David Getter in the sort of umbrella of great European DJs, but he was making massive waves. Um, there was, like, Tiesto. There was loads and loads of stuff. And then Avicii came pretty much... Like, it felt kind of out of nowhere. And he just had this run of banger after banger after banger and each one would be like the number one anthem of Unite Out like I think he started with levels and then it was like wake me up then it was hey brother like there was just one after one after one and um it just really really felt very it felt like that that sense of freedom and independence that suddenly we all felt like bestowed with levels by Avicii just suddenly seem to encapsulate all that. And I think as well, it's that cheesy thing, isn't it? Of like when you're on a, on a nightclub dance floor and the beat goes and it's just the vocal and it's just that, I think it samples, um, uh, is it Nina? It's not Nina Summer. It samples a, a singer who sings like, uh, good feeling. Uh, I want to say it's Etta James now, but it's, it's somebody sing like that bit where it's like, Oh, sometimes I get a feeling. Yeah. And the, no beat on the floor and everyone just with their hands up on a on a on a really shit nightclub dance floor uh in a really shit northern town all just singing oh sometimes i get a good feeling it's so um it's so at odds now when you think back to it but at the time it felt like this is the start of my adult life and anything is possible and i'm able to go out buy my own drinks get as drunk as i like get a taxi home whenever i like it just felt very very I'm in control. And as a, as you heard me say earlier, even with like how I've decided to go stand up comedy, like me being in control of my own life and sort of that independence and you getting to call the shots is still something that I really yeah. value. And I think that was probably the first time I really started to feel it. And, and clubbing, clubbing in, in 2011, 2012, when the, the, genuinely the whole, it felt like the whole of the UK was feeling positive and optimistic and excited and free it just felt a really great time to become an adult. It felt like you, I felt like I became an adult at the best time in the UK. I feel, I feel really sorry for people like your daughter who've turned 18 either in this or people who've turned 18 in the last four years where everyone's so divided and everyone's, everything's a bit shit. There's not much kind of prospects going around. I mean, don't get me wrong. We were like at the beginning or no, in the midst of a financial recession. Mm. But it, it didn't feel it then. It didn't, it just felt, Felt very carefree. Felt very nice. Felt very, yeah. I guess I, I do think when the country hits these kind of shit storms, like, and oh my god, we're in the middle of one now. But 
I do think that you, you know those that have got that kind of headspace will will find that kind of punk ethos and, and yeah. you know when you're restricted of what you can do, you have to kind of you know rethink what you can do and, and how you can do it. And and I think some really fucking cool shit's going to come out of this. Oh, mad, like, so, so cool. I was chatting to my mum about, like, what it was like being a punk for her, and she was like, the the main thing was it was because everything was so shit and there was no prospect, and it was sort of against all of this, like, it was, you had all of the post-war optimism had worn off and people had realised, actually, it was it was shit and there was no job prospects. It was very kind of um, old, archaic ideas and the optimism of the swinging 60s had gone and it was now just the shit 70s. And then, and she said, like, so it fell on us to kind of this DIY attitude of being like, well, I'm not going to do what the authorities are sort of expecting me to do. And I'm not going to do what my sort of repressed post-war parents see as a good thing to do. I'm going to do it myself. I'm just going to do it and do how I feel and live it the best I think to do. And it's sort of that... Um, that that nihilism really of just sort of it's 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 anarchy isn't it it is anarchy of, of, of to be an anarchist you're not you're not aligned with anybody yep. in particular and i do think to an extent it's kind of happening now and you're like look how many times people have been told rules and look how each time that respect for it goes down and that's not me saying please don't respect the rules because uh, it's punk and punk is cool no but i think as a planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The result of over the last couple of years of it just being like, well, we keep we keep looking to these people to sort of come in with what the best thing to do is, and it never materialises. And I think the youth has ne- have never been so disenfranchised. I think people have never been more divided. Like Brexit kicked it off four years ago, and let's be honest, I think that division has only gone further. Again, with the pandemic, it became a north-south thing. That was a division thing going on. It's been really, really tough. And I think as a result, and hopefully one positive will be that there's been this kind of punk attitude of going, well, fuck it, I'll do it myself. I'll 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 do what I I'll do what I do to, 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 to make my life the best it can be. And I think a great example of that is how the comedy industries sort of turned and, and, and stuff like podcasting is for so long it was kind of like like especially with with comedy, it was like right, I need a gig to book me, or I need um, I need to get a good agent that can get me a good venue at Edinburgh, and if I have a good Edinburgh, I'll get good publicity, and then I'll get booked for shows and stuff. And now it's just sort of like, um, no, I can do all of those things from my bedroom. I can run my own gig. I can sell tickets from my bedroom. I can book other comedians who are also in their living rooms and it'll be like really really good everybody can do that like we can do this podcast whereas normally like beforehand some a lot of podcasts are like you know book a studio you have to yeah you have to come and book a studio and you have to 
make sure that you, you, your guests are here on time and all of it. Now it's like, well... It's all no, DIY. It's, like, it's punk as fuck. I love it. It's punk. And I think it's a... I think particularly the young generation, now, as in I'm talking about the generation below me, this sort of Generation Z, they kind of... I think they need it. I think they need to sort of have this moment of realising, actually, if I want to pursue something, especially creative... There's no better place to start than my living room. I don't need to attract the attention of a big label. I don't need to attract the attention of a talent scout or an agent. What I need is a camera, a microphone, and I can put my work out there. And and it, I, I don't care if a talent agent sees it. I care if hundreds of thousands of people like and retweet it and enjoy my work. And that that is more valuable than a meeting with somebody who's like, yeah, I think I think that's really good. We'll get you on the. We'll get you on. I don't know, Radio 4 or something. No disrespect to Radio 4, but it's like that's that's yeah. not the step up anymore. The step up now is like just create your own Instagram page and people will follow it for the funny videos you're doing or for the songs that you're doing or for the workout videos you're doing. Like, Absolutely. Taking that control back. It's, it's really yeah. interesting. Well, yeah. let's take you home. And that's why I picked Avicii. LAUGHTER <laughs> um, for track six, Maisie, I'm going to take you home, and I want a, a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Okay, I feel like it's going to be very obvious, um, but you kind of when you're from Yorkshire, you can't go with you can't, and you're, and you're my age, you can't go with anybody that isn't the Arctic Monkeys. Right. Um, again, I was like big. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put Arctic Monkeys in landfill indie. No, no. Big indie fan, and when Arctic Monkeys came on the scene. I guess kind of like, you know how there was the whole Blur Oasis thing and it was like you had one who was singing in northern dialects and then you had a lot who were singing quite like... Uh, Mock very me. London, Mock London me. Art They're Essex boys. Yeah. They're Essex yeah. art school boys. It kind of felt like that with, with Indy. In the, there was a lot of people like Scouting for Girls who sang with... who would say like Bath when they were singing and and you know, we're singing about girls called Rosaline uh, and the Wombats and things like that. There was a lot of kind of klaxons, I remember, sounded, their songs were great, but it sounded very london It sounded quite, not not posh boy, but what we would call posh boy just because anybody south of Birmingham would say is posh boy because they just say bath instead of bath. Um, and then the Arctic Monkeys kind of crept up and they didn't just sing not London. They sang fully in their own accent with like local dialect words. And that's why I've picked Mardi Bum. Yeah. Because I still say Mardi, like with my boyfriend, I'll be like, Why are you being Mardi? And he won't know what I mean. And it's it 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 sounds again really wanky, but to hear something that means something just where you're from to feel represented like that is really special. It feels really, it feels really good. It feels like you're putting yourself on the map, even though you're nothing to do with it. Oh, I get exactly the same when Joey Essex says ream. <laughs> yeah, 100%. He's, your Alex Turner. <laughs> he's, he's my poet, yeah. Exactly. And I think that was the thing as well with Alex Turner. You could tell he was really like, I remember reading in NME back in the days where I used to subscribe and I'd get one every one every week. But it was... I remember reading a thing about Alex Turner saying that he was going to go to, like, Sheffield Uni to do 
um, English literature and poetry, I think it was. And like, and uh, they'd, they'd got like a quote from his English teacher being like, oh, he's one, probably one of the most intelligent pupils I've ever had. And actually, not that you'd ever do this because I'm not, I'm not massive on poetry, to be honest. I do find it quite testing on the ears. But if you were to read the lyrics of most Arctic Monkeys songs as a poem, they're blooming, like, lift the roof off of whatever tent you're in. But it, 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 they're really, really amazing. And I think, I mean, he's done it, hasn't he? He took that John Cooper Clark well, poem. Well, this is be it. Because there was so much initial kind of scepticism that is John Cooper Clark writing their lyrics? Yeah. There was, there was yeah. that attached to it. And, yeah. But for me, like, that first album, I think is, is perfection. Yeah, you know, 100%. Uh, because the level of social commentary and stuff, yeah. you know, it's, it's a certain romance, like talking about lads with like tracky bottoms tucked in socks, scrapping with Paul Q's in there. It's like, I love shit like that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I kind of feel, nah, he's Alex Turner, rock and roll legend now, and he's kind of doing that more kind of sweaty rock and roll stuff, which I... I can't stand that concept album they've just done. I just... I can't stand it. I just... No. I like the... Go back to singing about Ford Cortinas. That's like, what I want. <laughs> I know but artists right. have got to progress. Him. I remember that the the first album you write was absolute perfection, but it was the, it was the second album that was like the soundtrack of my teens. It's Favorite the track in between. It's the track in between yeah. the single they put out. Um, what is it um, with Paddy Constantine in the video? Um, Leave oh, before the lights go out. Yes. How yeah. good is that? Yeah, it's a it's bloody like, I mean, I. They was just a, a completely different league to any of the other bands that were around at that completely. time. And when Favourite Worst Nightmare came out, it was exactly that thing of singing, like singing about the sex working, like sex worker district of Sheffield and talking about like somebody who used to get it in your fishnets, now you only get it in your nightdress. That's so clever. Yeah. And it's so, um, it's naughty, it's rude, it's cheeky, but it's really lovely as well. That's what I love about Mardi Bum is it's just this song about like, why do you get like this? Because we, when we're good, we're great, and it's, and it goes, it, it goes from being really soppy of like cuddles in the kitchen, like come on, let's go up, up and away, and then it'll just go back to calling her like you know basically a grumpy old cow, and it's that's 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 a relationship, isn't it? Yeah. Of being like, why are you being such a grumpy twat when you can be, you know, normally we we can be really nice when you when you're not in a mood, and it's, I, I much prefer listening to songs like that than sort of these great grand gestures, which I found at the time a lot of other indie bands were sort of trying to do that felt a little bit kind of disconnected from, from what was, what was real. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, with, with, with the Arctic Monkeys and I guess particularly Alex Turner, they've done that thing of constantly evolving. So they were like proper rough around the edges Sheffield band when they started. Then they sort of grew all the hair out and started to look like when the Beatles grew the hair and I wasn't, I wasn't overly sure. And then he became a bit of a greaser, didn't he? Yeah, and massively. Like and then recently he's got this sort of, they've started dressing like they're in the 1970s in like a police cop show with sort of tinted sunglasses and it's it's not it's not my cup of tea the stuff that they've been doing recently but that's what I love about Arctic Monkeys is that their next album yeah. could be my favourite one the yeah. one before um, uh, the Casino one the a, but um, AM is 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 one of my favourite albums I love that with the 
um, why do you only call me when you're high and one for the road I find it quite haunting it's 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 a little bit darker and that that was the one I was listening to um it's got it opens with do I want to know and that that guitar at the start is so like menacing yeah I started listening to like that album came out when you think favorite worst nightmare was when I was sort of uh, like my memory of favorite worst nightmare is playing it from my Sony Ericsson phone when you used to like share Bluetooth <laughs> of, of a ringtone, and we used to play all the Arctic Monkey songs from my Sony Ericsson phone whilst we were playing on the trampoline in my back garden. And then AM, what I'm thinking of is all the house parties at uni. I say uni, it's drama school. So these house parties were often held by lads who kind of saw themselves as a bit of a John Cooper Clark. Um, despite the fact they came from, like, a seven-bedroom house in Somerset. <laughs> uh, and they'd come... And, like, they'd, none of them ever wore socks, do you know what I mean? They'd wear flat caps, but, like, not ironically. Um, and they were just a bit... bit Like, just like there were so many wanky lads, and they were just sort of... Great name um, for a band. Yeah, and you'd turn up to a house party thinking, like, right, where have you plugged your speakers? And they're like, oh, we don't have speakers, we've just put a record on. And you're like, are we in 1972? Because it's... <laughs> It's 2015, and I've brought yeah, I've brought my speakers here. You know, I've brought I've brought Blumen Avicii, best of. Yeah, AM reminds me of that. I love the album, but it reminds me of those sort of quite moody lads that were at uni who yeah. took, took themselves a little bit too seriously and loved to speak about drugs. Yeah, really into my drugs. Really, one of my, like, one of the most interesting conversations you can ever have, isn't it? Oh, brilliant! Let's oh. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. I, like their idea of a date was like, do you want to come round and like lie in bed and smoke weed together? And you'd be like, no, I'd like to go to all bar one and share a bottle of rosé. <laughs> <laughs> Very much on different pages here. Um, yeah, I couldn't get out of there quick enough to be honest. But at least, yeah, good album came out of it. All right. Well, for your last track, uh, you get to play DJ, and uh, it's a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. Okay, okay. Um, I've picked The Passenger by Susie Sue. Okay. So this is The Passenger, originally sung by Iggy Pop. Mm-hmm. But and it's been covered by next to everyone, hasn't it? Um, but Susie Sue covered it, and um, Iggy Pop actually said when he heard the Susie Sue one, he was like, that's that's the better one. That's oh, how really? Yeah, he's like, he's he's since said about Susie Sue's cover, this is how this song should sound, and I think hers is the best one. And I fucking love that, first of all, that Iggy Pop is such a legend to kind of concede that. That's, that I think that's wicked, um, because his version, brilliant. But this Susie Sue one, I love Susie Sue, first of all. Did this come um, through your mum? Yeah, it came through my mum. She was very much like... Um, she played she played punk all the all the time when I was growing up, but she was kind of particularly quite passionate about the women in punk. So there was a lot of the, the slits, a lot of polystyrene. Oh, amazing. And, and she, and Susie Sue was, I remember like seeing all these pictures of her and in some she's got like bleach blonde slick back hair and then some she's got big gothic dark hair with this eyeliner. And then weirdly, as fate would have it, I left drama school and was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do, moved back home with my mum and dad. And um, I was just looking through this casting website and they were like, oh, we're, we're looking to cast this thing on the Sex Pistols. We're wanting to do... It was Sky Arts, and they were wanting to do this thing where they reenacted the Sex Pistols' Bill Grundy 
uh, interview um, and kind of like did a, a put, but like put a sort of fictional spin on it. And they're like, so this is what we're casting for. And I, I just was looking at it out of interest. And the, the one female role was Susie Sue. I thought I didn't have an agent or anything, but I just sent in my pictures and thought nothing of it. And then they, they emailed back and they were like, yeah, can you, can you self-tape yourself doing these lines? And I had to do the lines that Susie Sue says to Bill Grundy. And my, I had to film it in, in the living room. And my dad was off screen reading in as Bill Grundy. <laughs> so I was sort of having to do this self-tape where my dad's saying very sort of like quite gross, sexual, inappropriate yeah. stuff. And um, my mum was like, you do your makeup like Susie Sue. And I was like, do you think? I think self-tapes, you're meant to be quite natural. Everything at, everything at uni, they'd give you, like, lessons at drama school on how to do a self-tape. And they're always like, have a very blank background. Um, you should be sort of uh, just in shot like a passport photo. Wear only black so that you're neutral. And my mum was like, bollocks to that. Let's put Susie Sue's makeup on you. She was like, I used to dress up like her all the time as a punk. So my mum put this big star right round me thing. And she was like, Give it a go. So I sent it in, and by the next morning they were like, "Yeah, you've you've got the part. Can you come down to London and film it?" And I'd never had like bearing in mind, like three months out of uni, uh, drama school, didn't have an agent. Most of my mates who did have an agent were like getting put forward for like an advert to be in the background of a McDonald's thing. And then I got this, and I felt so cool. And the fact that like my first acting job was something as cool as this they let me keep the costume it was it was amazing I had to be in this like bright blonde wig peroxide blonde braces big bow tie thing it was so so cool I had to smoke throughout the whole interview and I don't smoke and I feel like it's very obvious when you watch it back now that I I've maybe smoked like six cigarettes in my life um and it was so cool but it meant that in the run-up to it I was reading everything I could on Susie Sue and it just sort of added on top to everything that my mum had ever told me about her, just with how kind of, how cool she was, like what a, what a, what a genuine raconteur she was. Of, of she just didn't Hugely. give a shit. And so, so surrounded by male counterparts. And as far as she was concerned, that wasn't something to even be aware of. And, and, and as somebody now in comedy, who's very much aware of like often being the only woman on a lineup or a panel show, I thought it was really interesting that she was always like, well, you didn't kind of, in, in punk, you didn't really see it as male and female because you were all just, the, obviously the, the androgyny played into it a little bit, but the blokes weren't butch blokes and the women weren't feminine women. So it was a lot kind of, you were all just swapping clothes. Like, you know, Johnny Rotten would borrow a shirt that Susie had worn the day before and she'd wear his leather bottomless pants. So it was... It was kind of, and, and and the sexualization was kind of taken out of it because it was anarchy. There wasn't those yeah. things to, to tap into, and so I really really loved it. Uh, and then when I heard this this cover, and especially with what Iggy Pop said about it, of like this is how it should be. You listen to it, and you I I challenge everybody on here to listen to it and to not agree with Iggy Pop because it's like it's taken all of the best elements of an already great song and just amplified them so there's like proper brass like bits in the background that just make you want to I always listen to it before I go on stage I listen to it at Edinburgh before I go on stage because it makes me feel really like pumped up fucking ready quite quite a great like quite ready to sort of tackle any hecklers or anything like that 
Um, but it also just makes you and I think the audience as they're coming into a room feel pumped and, and, and ready for... Yeah. It's quite a, a charged song. Definitely. Um, and that brass as well kind of feels quite showy and quite, come on then, have a, it's, it is that sort of Gallagher-esque, come and have a go if you think yeah. you're hard enough. I, I absolutely love it. And I love that it's done by Susie as a cover of a bloke song and that bloke's gone, yeah, that's, that's how it should be. Well, people can uh, get an opportunity to uh, to check that out and uh, and see if they think it's better than Iggy's because um, what I do, Maisie, is I put together a, a Spotify playlist uh, to accompany yes. the pod with all the tracks that uh, you've chosen, some of the other ones that we've spoken about as well. Um, so we've just finding ourselves in 2021. Um, we're, we're six or seven days into it. Is it the 7th today? I believe it is. Um, <laughs> what are you uh, What are you looking forward to personally this year, and what's coming up professionally? Oh my god, it's it's so hard, isn't it, to go when when you go what you're looking forward to. Any other year, you know exactly what yep. you're looking forward to, but it's it, we're in that strange time where you're looking like the next four months of your diary, and you're going, well, I'm sort of Staying I'm not in. used to any of my diary. <laughs> you don't use anything more substantial than a pencil because you're just like, well, that's. That might be on. It might. It might not be. Um, what do I want for twenty twenty one? I want this to all bloody be over. I'll oh. be honest. Um, but I'd like to. I, I'd like to. I'd like to, to 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 write another show and to tour that. I've really missed touring. I've really missed going to these places that I've not been before and sort of seeing the quirks and 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 I like walking around like the local place beforehand before I do a tour show just to sort of like pick up on little. Idiot, like it's very, like Mark Steele. Mark Steele has a great show on on Radio Four, so you can't say I hate Radio Four. Um, where he, he walks around a town and then we'll do a show about it that evening, and I think that's such a, a gift to have. And I, I I just can't wait for that to be back and normal. I can't wait to be in a room that's packed with people just to have a good night. Yeah. I bloody miss a dance floor, honestly. That can't come quick enough. I love a night out. And I just want more of them. It's my birthday in a couple of weeks, and I've really, really, really like struggled to make me peace with the fact that I'm going to have a lockdown birthday. Because um, obviously, when it happened, I was like, "Oh, all these poor people who have summer birthdays, they've got a, they've got a bit in lockdown." But it'll all be gone by the time mine comes round. It bloody hasn't. So <laughs> that's that's defo. The worst thing that's come about from all of this is, is I don't get to turn 27 in a nightclub. Um, but yeah, I think I think professionally, who knows? I think I think I'd like to 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 to, to tour though, and to get a new show under my belt. I think there's a lot of stuff people want to sort of share together in a in a comedy way, rather than through the news or through a briefing. 100%. Um, yeah, uh, and I want to like I don't know. I I didn't have this haircut before lockdown, and it's something that I always I always wanted to do. But because I had a gig or because I had a TV thing, I was like, oh, I don't know, what if it looks shit? What if it looks bad? And I think lockdown, as it, it's a great time, first of all, to try something a bit risky. Oh, sorry, because, you, you are talking to somebody that has uh, decided to uh, bleach their hair like they did in 1996 at 47 looks years sick. of age. Is that not your normal hair? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, it looks, it looks class. I really like it. Thanks, I'm, mate. I'm, cons- I'm considering dyeing these bits. Do it. Long. And, and people are always going like, oh, you know, I would do it, but you never know. Use this lockdown. We will never get it again. Use this weird pandemic era where you don't have to go and see people from the office or 
or your boss or anything. If it if it goes shit, you've probably got three weeks to grow it out. Like you're fine. But it has made me realise, like, just to not give so much of a shit anymore. Like, hundred percent. It's really made me realise, like, how much stuff I used to not do because I might be seeing, you know, I might be on the telly the next day, or I might be doing this, or I might might have to see this person, or so and so might not think I'm very professional. Just do it. Like, especially when I look back at like the punk era or something, like when when exactly. I'm in the club, I'm like. Bloody hell, they didn't care. And there's me going, oh, well, I look strange with a fringe. Just do it. Just give it a go. And <laughs> that's that's kind of more a bit more of a New Year's resolution, I think, to, to just sort of just do do you a bit more and, and not not worry so much. Like, if you want a haircut, do it. If you want to, I don't know, if you want to, like, do some new... If you want to start trying, like, dressing differently, give it a go. What's the word? Like, you're not... You're not, you're not allowed to go out anywhere. It's so. not like anyone could judge you. You ain't seen anyone. No, no exactly. <laughs> exactly. And also, if, if they do judge you, if the worst thing they've seen that year, if the worst thing that's offended them that year is your haircut, they've probably had a, a, a pretty good year. Like, <laughs> if that's the worst thing that's gone on in their life is seeing your haircut, they've got a lot to be thankful for. <laughs> oh, Maisie, like, I knew this was going to be a good chat. And I've really, oh, really enjoyed it. Thanks loads for, for agreeing to do it, mate. I've really enjoyed it. It's such good fun. Oh, it's wonderful. Nice to, nice to have a chat about it all as well. It's, it's all right, isn't it? Yeah, really, really nice. Yeah. Oh, thanks well, thank loads, you. Macy. Cheers, pal. There you go. Wonderful, right? I thought you'd enjoy that. Um, it was really, really nice to, to chat to Macy. It's the first time I'd met, uh, met Macy. And, um, yeah, it was a, hopefully you got as much joy um, listening to that as I did having that pod natter. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, please go and uh, explore the back catalogue of this podcast. There's over 220 episodes now. And uh, aside from the comedians I mentioned at the beginning, you can also go and check out conversations I've had with the likes of Melanie C from the Spice Girls, Chuck D from Public Enemy, Tommy C, uh, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, oh, gosh, Fatboy Slim, uh, Rag and Bone Man. There's there's a, a whole world of, of wonderful musicians on this, as, as well as actors such as um, Maxine Peake, Amanda Abington. Like, go go and have a rummage, and you can find out about everything to do with this podcast, the Patreon merchandise, and where you can access all the the episodes for free at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I'll be back next time. In the meantime, stay safe. Much love. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, 
They've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Eat a pocket.